Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yeah! Yes! Yes, Dragon Talk! This studio audience is very excited for the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast to begin. I'm yes. Greg Tito, and I've got Shelly Mazzanoble on the phone. Ooh, hi! Hi. How's everyone? We are dealing with uh, the end of 2020 here in the Tito household. How about you? Yep, same, same. Just kind of skidding right into uh, the holidays and New Year's and gluttony. Watching all of the D&D holiday specials. Yes. What a wonderful way to get into the holiday spirit. It's the most wonderful entertainment you can watch on the internet of oh, good all. One. Good one. It's amazing. Uh, check them all out. They're on the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube page if you're interested. Lots of fun uh People playing D and D together, including the Aquagens Incorporated crew and uh, some lovely people from across the pond. Yes, we just had a really funny uh, game with the Comic Relief crew that you can can watch um, at your leisure. And yeah, that um, this weekend we've got two more really funny um, groups playing on Friday and Saturday, including, like you said, Ac Inc. joining for. I'm sure a really feel-good, um, happy holiday. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure. Let's, let's go with that. Let's go with feel-good. Feel I'm sure good. there will be no bad feels when they roll a one or anything no, like that. No. Jeremy uh, Crawford, of course, is the dungeon master for that. And I'm sure that he just tapped into his holiday spirit as well and nothing bad happened. <laughs> it was all. just, uh, you know, lots of drinking of cocoa and... Uh, Candy canes, nothing bad have ever happens Not in the D game. No. We have an amazing interview today with Jasmine Bueller, an amazing personality. Uh, we laughed possibly more during this interview than, uh, I, I don't know, every week. It really, like, the time I laugh the most is when I'm uh, talking to our guest with you, Shelly. Well, thank goodness we have this because otherwise, what would our weeks look like? They would be sad. There would be no laughter. It's true. Uh, so stick around uh, for that interview. Very entertaining. And uh, she's doing so many amazing things uh, yes. with, with playing online uh, as a streamer as well as a uh, personality. So check it out. We, uh, I, have, I have dragons on my Christmas list. Do you? Always. <laughs> Also, dungeons. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Yeah. I don't know how they're going to get delivered, but um, you know, maybe we have to go to a specific location to, to get gifted a dungeon. I mean, maybe this is just like uh, Santa has the ability to like HGTVify your man cave. And when Ooh. you wake up in the morning, he, like, maybe he's made it look a little more dungeony. I prefer a person cave. <laughs> well, considering that you live with three females, it's yes. true. Yeah, that I there's there's never a day that I don't see at least one of them coming into your space. Yes. We uh, <laughs> share a lot of spaces. Yeah, this is that's why this is the game room. Even though yes. it's art alternately referred to as like office or or uh, you know my room. Uh, it's yeah, not, it's the family. It's the room. game room. It's the game yes. room. Yeah, and it's like, and it's not even that cavey. No, although I do want it to make it more cavey. I think the 
the white paint in here, I'm going to replace eventually with uh, more darker shades. Nice. Maybe even black Starfield. Uh-huh. 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 Then it will be even more cave-like. Maybe I'll do some stalactites. I was just going to say, maybe some stalactites or stalagmites, which I still am confused about <laughs> which is which. <laughs> just, I don't know. Who but knows? you need both in a dungeon, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. Maybe we'll, Oh, that would be a nice design for, the, for uh, whatever game table I put in here, if it looked like it was from a, from a cave or a rock formation. Yes. That's too much. That's too much. I don't know. It could be a fun project for the kids. Get them crafting. Oh, yeah. My, uh, my daughter has been doing a lot of crocheting and uh, knitting oh, during this time. Aww. As well as making stop motion videos, which is great to do, I will tell you, with D&D miniatures. It's fantastic. How is she doing that? Using a camera and a, uh, um, an application I got on a, a laptop. Yeah, it just takes one frame at a time and then you can export it out as a video and then edit no. it up after that way yeah it's huh. super fun um she did have one on her phone that you could do the audio as well uh, and record it all in the same app um but uh we wanted to to do it a little bit more uh differently this time and so we have edited video yeah it's it's the new project i keep telling her to script it out which she's not doing she's just kind of improvising as she yeah. goes yeah that that that's her style that's yeah. her her creative medium exactly nice so, what are, what's going on in your world, Shelly? Mm, you know, just doing some baking. Yeah. Yeah. This is my time of year, Tito. This is when I come alive. <laughs> You're making the decorating cookies? the ba- yes, um, little cakes, cookies, planning menus that three people will actually one person, two people will enjoy. One person will just eat crackers. Um, Got all the basic. Decorating, putting up Christmas lights every day. It's so good. My house looks like a gingerbread house. Oh, and I did make a gingerbread house with Quinn. Oh, that's adorable. Mm -hmm. It was. Will a big ogre come and stomp on it? Uh, If you, by that, you mean, did Quinn immediately destroy it before the frosting was even dry? (laughs) (laughs) Was he tearing the roof off and eating it? Yes. Oh, what a fun project. That did happen. Like, well, we only spent twelve dollars on it, so okay, good. That's fine. But yeah, right. Still, still, um, we. Ne- I barely got a picture of the damn thing before he started tearing it apart. That sounds like a seven-year-old boy. Sure does. We have been paging through Heroes Feast, uh, the amazing cookbook put together uh, by uh, Michael Whitwer, John Peterson, and Kyle Newman. And mm-hmm. man, those photographs! Oh my god, taking pictures—the best—they are so inspiring. The, you know, the recipes and the lore is is super cool too. But you know, nothing really brings you into another world like those photos they took. Yes. They are, it is a beautiful, beautiful book, and it's a, a bestseller as well. That's right. How cool is that? Definitely a good thing to purchase for the cook slash um, gamer in your life. We knew that D&D players were a lot of things. Turns out they are also home chefs. That's right. And I yeah. love them even more. So thank you to those of you who have been sharing your photos of recipes that you have created from that book. I love seeing them. Me I too. love it. Yeah, love it. It. Looks, it looks fantastic. And keep it up. I want to share them all during this uh, December month for y'all. It's fun. 
Um, I hope people are getting into uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaid, and I keep thinking about how perfect it is for a wintertime campaign. And yes. uh, we may jump into uh, playing out some of those adventures uh, here at home during the break, and I hope other people are doing that too. Yes. I, I, um, I hope that we get some D&D playtime in here. Who knows? Maybe I'll even practice on my family. You're going to dungeon master for Quinn I mean, Bard? I guess I could do it in front of them. <laughs> right? Yeah. You've learned so much just even over this last year, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it's time to put it to the test. I mean, let's just see. Let's just practice on one, maybe just like one quick encounter just so I can see if I know what to do during that. That's, that's a and, great idea. And that's idea. probably the most exciting thing for Quinn would be, you know, actually like rolling dice and fighting right. something. Yeah, you're fighting a big uh, snow monster or something like that. That'd be great. Yeah. Do it. Okay. I can't wait. And I'll, I want to hear all about it. And oh, we I think will. listeners would too. Oh, you will. Oh, they will. A um, little bit of fun personal news for us and Dragon Talk. I Aww. think we can talk about it, right? I think so. We're writing a book. Yay! We're writing a book about Dragon Talk. Yeah, the working title right now is Welcome to Dragon Talk, which I just said a couple minutes ago. What you say on every podcast. I really do. That has become like yes. the, the thing that I say to start these interviews or start yeah. these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Some fun little project we get to do together. Yeah. And, it's um, going to be all about the, you know, the inception of this podcast and how we grew and changed it and morphed it into what it is. And it's hard to believe when we've been talking about this that we've been doing this for five years, you know, more than five years, really. Yeah. I know, I I can't even believe it, and that is a lot of interviews. It's and, a lot, yeah, because yeah. we were we're pretty good about you know sticking to a schedule. <laughs> we we you, stick to the schedule. That was one of the things that you got us uh, to do. Your your involvement in Dragon Talk was hey, we should probably be more regular about doing this. Yeah, yeah. and maybe have a name. Right. Let's get some we branding going on. Uh, yeah. So we'll talk all about that in the book and where it came from uh, and focus on some of the more memorable interviews over the last uh, five years. Yes. Can't wait for that. So yeah, we're going to be working hard over the next year or so on that and uh, can't wait to show it to you. But we are excited. Um, You've written two books that are D&D related. Uh, I have not. So I'm excited to, uh, you know, for you to teach me all the things. But you've written many, many words that are D&D related in your life. And basically, isn't that just what a book is? Just words. (laughs) Just lots and lots of words. Words, words, words. Words, But yes, then hopefully you'll see Greg and I on our world tour. Because I'm sure we'll get one, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, that's that's what you do when you write a book, right? You go on a book tour. Like immediately after. Like you just hit send and then poof, Poof. you're off to a five-star hotel. I just want to go uh, somewhere that isn't my basement. Yeah, well, hopefully by the time this book comes out, we'll actually be able to go to conventions again. And then, you know, we can... That'd be so great. We'll we'll be able to... set up a little table. Interact with people and tell them about, uh, you know, what it was like working together and how Shelly is just so demanding all the time. Hopefully we're still friends by the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there is still a dragon talk. That's the one thing that I'm pretty sure about. We are going to, uh, well, I don't know. Who knows? We will. <laughs> it will happen. You've edited my, my words before. 
Yeah. I think you're a good writer. The two of us are going to stretch our creative muscles together, and that's that's exciting. Yes! Yeah! And it gives us something fun to focus on. That's right. That's what everybody needs uh, in this in this day and age is yep. uh, some fun creative outlets. Um, so I think Tasha's cauldron of everything has been that for a lot of people who love to create, uh, you know, interesting new character combinations and classes. Yep. And so I hope you're del- delving into that now. There are a myriad of options in that book. Yes. Um, I hope and- you are delving into that. Yeah, that's what we're going to delve into in this next segment uh, of Lori Chanel, where I talk to Adam Lee uh, about two subclasses. So let's uh, take a listen and then we'll get to our interview with Jasmine right after that. Okay. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and today I'm joined by Adam Lee. Hello. Hi, Adam. Greetings. Uh, on this segment where we delve into the lore behind Dungeons and Dragons, uh, because it's fun to know, but also you can use it in your game, we are going to talk about two subclasses from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and what kinds of stories uh, you can tell with these bringing in uh, the lore and um, information around them. And today we are going to talk about two uh, the Psy Warrior, which is a fighter subclass, and the Warlock Genie Patron. Um, so, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Psy Warrior? Psy Warrior. So, yeah, these are these are fighters that have somehow tapped into psionic powers, and they use their minds, um, like telekinetic abilities and mind energy to enhance their attacks and defend themselves, create shields. Um, so they're, they're, they're tapped into that, that sort of, um, that power suite. Um, and I think like when, you know, I think about like a Psy warrior, um, I feel like these fighters um, at some point in their lives, they've either contacted um, maybe they've been around a, a magic item that's that's resonated this this uh, energy that's affected their that's like kind of switch switch that put that switch on and unleash this power to them. They could have grown up under the tutelage of uh, of a maybe a Gith Yankee. Mm. Maybe a Gith Yankee kind of took them under their wing for some reason or another because Gith Yankee are weird and we don't know exactly what their <laughs> what their motivations are here. Yeah, but yeah, they could have been raised by a Gith Yankee if it was a human, um, or it could have been a human that was captured or you know elf or whoever that was captured by a mind flare, and they were going to get their brains sucked out and somehow they escaped, but they were they were their brains got scrambled and then they grew up as this, this, with this power, you know? Mm. So there's some cool, like kind of backgrounds about how this, this warrior came to be. Um, Are there ways, and Tasha's, maybe, cause you're talking about, you know, enemies essentially, I guess with Geth Yankee yeah. and, um, and mind flares. Are there any kind of friendly contacts that could have resulted in this power suite for Psy warriors? Yeah. If, if you were like, say if you're in Eberron or something and you were a Kalashtar, um, the Clashtar are these, um, the good aligned sort of quarry, um, that, that, uh, you know, are now dedicated to defeating the evil, you know, the, 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 the 
the darkness that's coming in. So they they uh, they would be great psi warriors, and um, they kind of have that sort of monk uh, fighter kind of combo to them, where they um, you know they they have this innate psychic ability, and now they're they're going to use that for good. Um, you could also have like maybe this this um, this character was sort of um, you know kind of taken away onto like sort of a Mount Celestia place or was you know kind of you know held by a solar and just being in that that being's presence mm. it it awakened this this ability this latent ability and now that that psychic that psychic link or the, it could even be still psychically linked to whoever it is if the DM wants to, to run it that way. Ooh, and so there's, it with a uh, with a group patron as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's all kinds of fun ways to do that. And uh, in Tasha's uh, in Tasha's cauldron, like you can there's a there's a section on um, session zeros, which is sort of like um, before the game even starts and you're running up, rolling up your character, you're kind of talking about like, how did my character come to be? And what does my character do? And, 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 you know, you know, what is their motivation and how did they, how did they get to being an adventurer? Like, you know, they were born and they were just kind of, were they kind of derping around and they're just like, Oh, and all of a sudden the call to adventure happened and they were like, Oh, now I'm going to do it. So you could say sort of like, yep, you're just, um, it feels like an eyebrow, and yep, you're a clash tar, and you just kind of heard whispers in your head. You were always kind of a different kind of kid. And then one day you, you, got, the, you got the transmission and you kind of knew what your destiny was. Um, if you're on Feru and it could be, you know, you, you, you grew up in an orphanage and, and you were kind of a different child. And then, you know, then all of a sudden this, this warrior comes, you know, and, and says, now it's time for you to, to, to do your training. And you're like, Oh my gosh. And then they train you in this way of how to, how to channel your mind's abilities to, you know, focus your, your sword steel or to create a, a psychic shield around yourself. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that trope of, um, you know, uh, um, c- coming to this late, right? Like being introduced to it, being like, wait, yeah. this is totally not possible what you're able to do, but then slowly learning it. Um, I'm thinking of like Doctor Strange from from the, mm. the Marvel oh, universe. Oh, yeah, about how, totally. Like, they had a completely different life and a completely different story, but then they're introduced to this thing that is otherworldly and they have now have a responsibility to learn how to use it to defeat yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. That's cool because doc, there's a section of Doctor Strange that is, that is definitely a Psy Warrior. Like he is learning how to you know, use this power to, you know, be a martial artist and to, you know, use swords or whatever to combat. Yeah. Um, you know, and then of course he's got all his wizardy stuff, but, but for the purposes of this one, it's, it's, it's about fighting and, and doing that. So it's, uh, that's really cool, you know, and then unlocking that, like you and your DM have that session zero where you say like, okay, the DM's got this idea of like, yeah, really the ultimate destiny for your, that character is to find their way to this monastery mm. way in the freaking mountains, you know, and there you will kind of start to unlock more of these powers that you find in the subclass. Um, because as the subclass progresses, they get more and more cool, awesome psychic powers. Um, yeah. And, and the psychic like, powers do feel very superhero esque, right? Like they're, they're yeah. the type of things <laughs> that you see in, uh, yeah. in those type of movies and then transferring them to a fantasy context just feels right because you're able to do um, so many cool things. 
yeah, you got like telekinesis and you got like, you know, psionic, you know, like, you know, punch people out with your mind. Like it's, it's really fun stuff. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's like, and then in the context of Dungeons and Dragons, like the reason why I like bring up something like the Gith Yankee is like, their job is to clobber the mind flayers, you know, and even though Gith Yankee are, are kind of jerky, um, there are the Gizerai as well that are that are just that are less you know sort of haughty and sort of prone to to, to evil than the Gith Yankee, mm-hmm. but they are both you know aligned when it comes to mind flayers. It's like hey, we we want to you know end their sort of influence on any world, and we want to kind of take them take them out. Um, you could find a common ground, like if the if the like the if the campaign is going to be like taking place in the astral plane or if it's like a spell jammer kind of um uh, adventure then you could have your psionic fighter um being you know got some maybe against Darai monk took that that fighter and trained them and now you, you're going to have to go with your adventuring party who are complete fish out of water they're like whoa <laughs> you know like yeah and you're going to go on this thing and you're going to deal with these these psychic beings like the mind flares, but this fighter will have a way to like combat that. Um, and it's kind of fun to have that kind of a themed adventure. Yeah. To use the, the kind of, you know, uh, psionic power for good, right? Like there's, there's, yeah. as I mentioned, there's a lot of enemies that use that power. And so being able to be like, but wait, I can use this in a way that, uh, furthers the party's goals, um, feels, feels real fun to be able to take the tools of the bad guys and, and turn it against them. Yeah, yeah, and then and to show like there's different ways like to use your powers like you know to like entertain somebody or something like it's like coming up with creative ways to just make them fun and, and like do a that bard kind of deal. bard yeah. psi warrior combo <laughs> sounds super yeah. fun. Yeah, that would be totally cool. Um, another way you could use a psi warrior is uh, like going into the underdark um, because everything's in the darkness there. And so the, you know, there's a lot of creatures down there that use their mind to sort of feel their way around and stuff. And um, maybe your, your warrior is like kind of been trained by this monastery in the mountains to go and sort of, sort of deal with evil drow, you know, now we're kind of pushing the drow into like the drow kind of are a range of from good drow to evil drow, good drow like drifts to evil drow, like the ones that are in Mensa Baranza. And so, mm-hmm. like, if this warrior was trained that to, you know, be a part of a, a group of fighters that then would sort of watch the portals of the Underdark or go in there and just make sure that the drow weren't, you know, going to do something. Or if there was drow activity um, or Duragar activity, this, this warrior would be summoned to go in there and sort of suss out and, and put an end to what was going on. So... Yeah, um, a side warrior would also be a great um, NPC uh, to be able to yeah. be a guide in that underdark or or uh, any kind of area where the party would be blind uh, to what's yeah. happening. Like you know, for example, they got uh, marooned on the astral plane and they don't know how to deal with it. Well, then here's a side warrior who is able to to um, provide some guidance, maybe be a friend to the party, but maybe they're actually an evil. T- All right, so I got so many stories going through my brain already about <laughs> using this subclass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So uh, the other subclass we wanted to discuss was the Warlock Genie subclass. So I don't know a lot about um, the lore behind this. Tell me a little bit about what uh, this Warlock can do. 
Yeah, so the warlock um, genies are these like sort of powerful elemental beings, um, and uh, they come from all the different elemental planes, and uh, and they're also sort of in our myths, you know, the genies that like Aladdin and the lamp and all that. So the it kind of sort of naturally progressed into the idea that, that warlocks who have patrons, powerful patrons that they derive their powers from. Um, a genie would be a really good idea for one, and, and I love I love this one, and, and I also love the idea that um, this really ties into sort of telling Arabian Nights uh, mm. stories and tales like that. Like, there's so much rich um, like lore and myth that uh, of like Middle Eastern um, cultures, and you know, to to be able to tell those kinds of stories and tales. Um, yeah, go ahead and read 1001 Arabian Nights. And your brain will just burst with all these ideas for this kind of a character. So in Forgotten Realms, we have uh, Zakara, which is kind of the sort of Arabian Nights themed area where you have, you know, sands and temples and, and palaces made out of gold and, and uh, you know, things that sleep under the sands and undead warriors and, um, you know, things that are demon possessed, you know, so and these uh this warlock would then have this what you know they call a noble genie a good genie a genie that's not like trying to trick you or trying to like take you take you over uh, which kind of traditionally genies were um sort of not on the up and up they were a little hmm. bit they could kind of range from sort of tricky tricksters to sort of outright demons that they were really like oh man you don't want to mess with those things like like sort of the you know, it was one of those cautionary tales, like, don't mess with these powers. They're too great for humans to deal with. So leave it all alone and just kind of be humble and be, you know, to take to your, take to your studies. Um, but Saqqara is a great setting. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, this high civilization, this, this very culture. They see um, kind of the rest of, like, for, like on favor, and like, they, they see the rest of the world as kind of barbaric and uncultured and uncivilized. Um, uh, and from that, from Zakara came the Bedin, which are sort of these nomads that live in, in the Anoric Desert, which we chatted about quite a while ago. Yeah. And, uh, and also the Kalashites that, that are now in like Kalmshan, which mm. is kind of the south of the Sword Coast. Um, so, so from this Zakara came, came all these different cultures that we, we kind of know about. But to revisit that and, uh, you know, you could, you could take Zakara as it is, or you could sort of invent your own and uh, invent your own Arabian Nights setting and use this, this, uh, this uh, background um, or in any other kind of way you want to use it. Yeah, and it could also be a way to uh, introduce that area, uh, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. with the um, item, you know, we think of the, the genie in the lamp is a... Is a is a is a pretty common way to introduce these uh, uh, you know the the idea of genies to a world, but maybe you find that in Waterdeep or Candlekeep or something like that, and the character creates a pact with the genie and must go to these other areas um, in order to learn more, gain more power. Uh, you know, perhaps it's just part of the agreement of the pact with this genie is to um, travel there and 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 learn more about what's happening. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, it's like, 
you know, depending on how the DM wants to play it, like, you know, it could be that the very first adventure that this character goes on, like, part of, part of it is, like, you know, either getting to know the genie or freeing the genie. And through from because the genie gets free, then it says, now I'm going to, now you're sort of, we're packed together, yeah. you know, but now I'm going to help you out for the rest of your life. And so now the warlock begins their training. Um, and that's, a, again, another session zero um, that, and anybody who's like unfamiliar with session zero, what that means, um, Tasha's kind of explains what that's all about. And, and I think it's, it's a really fun um, and really cool way of, of putting more story into it and, and getting players to really think about their character in a, in like sort of what, what happened leading up to their, their adventure. And it could be that this warlock, all that stuff was done in a session of zero, like the freeing their genie and their genie sets up. And then the, the, the moment when they're level one, yeah. now they're packed it. Now we're off and running. Now we're, we've got a whole new set of adventures for that character. Like the genie's like, I've got all these things I want you to do um, because I'm going to give you power, but you're going to have to do it for me because I am sort of now in this elemental plane where I'm just going to kick back and, and just sort of watch you operate and you're going to do these awesome things for me. Yeah. Or it could be that the genie's like, I'm imprisoned, but now I can at least contact you and I'm going to give you instructions on how to get them out, get me out of my prison. And that could be the main thrust of the adventure. Or it could be that the DM is running another campaign altogether and that this character is like, Oh, we're now in this dungeon, but there's a some there's a key down there that I need you to get because it's it links to my you know problem. Oh, over nice! Here, so. A way to give like yeah, bonus so objectives to a to a, to a warlock. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love the idea that you just said of of being on the elemental plane, you know, yeah. of fire or water, depending on which um, type of spirit is the pact. Um, perhaps they're trapped and they actually need the adventurer to once they get to higher levels go to the elemental planes and free them or you know uh maybe yeah. maybe it's some type of ruse uh, all along and and they're actually trying to gain power in those elemental planes and getting the material uh from the material plane in order to make it happen i don't know there's there's so many possibilities there and i like that this subclass you know brings in more of those uh elemental power types to the warlock which you know usually had just done necrotic and and fire yeah. uh, potentially, but now you can have you know cold and uh, um, and, and, and other damages in your in your wheelhouse. Yeah. You got all the all the elements: war, water, air, fire. Um, and the thing I love about this this subclass is that it kind of unlocks this door to um, a whole new sort of culture of myth. Yeah. That a lot of times in D anD D, we're we're really we're really kind of in the sort of Celtic and uh, Western European myths. Um, and they're, there's all over the world, you know, Africa has these amazing myths, and Middle East has amazing myths, and Russia has amazing myths, and Japan and China, like India, like there's so many wonderful, you know, all, it's all this human imagination about like how did the world come to be and how did, you know, what is, what is the world of fairies and what are the world of like little people and, you know, that, that little magical beings, like every culture has their own sort of version of this. And hopefully, um, you know, kind of, I think one of our intentions is that by creating something like this, it, it takes players and dungeon masters to sort of like 
read other material mm. that, that's been written about different myths all over the world and just kind of expand that sort of worldview to get this sort of more global um, sort of holistic view of like what human myth has all been about. And, um, and I think there's so many great ideas here and, and hopefully this character class can unlock some of that and get some different stories being told. I love it. It's a great way to introduce um, all types of uh, different storytelling. Um, and yeah. it's all there for you in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. We've got <laughs> over two subclasses here, but every page I flip through in this book just seems to jump to life in, in my brain. And I hope people are, are taking a look at it. And thank you to Adam for your work as well as uh, the rest of the D&D team on, on making it happen. Yeah, everybody did a great job. Super proud of them. Um, how can people get in touch with you, uh, Adam, about uh, these subclasses or anything else? Yeah, um, contact me at, at Adam of Adventure uh, uh, on the Twitters. And I'm always happy to uh, respond to any questions and or just hear your tales of adventure and cool things that you made up and fun things that happened at the table. That is why I do the job that I do is to hear how the human imagination has expanded and to hear how friends and, or, and tales were made for lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> friends and tales were made for friends lifetimes. Friends and tales. Yeah. I was thinking just the other day, just like, man, there are things that I will not forget uh, about, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there are people I can call up right now and say, do you remember that time when we were standing on the bridge and Dave slipped off the bridge and got eaten by the great white shark? And every they'll be like, oh my God, yes. That was amazing. That was awful. And we all remember that. There's there's no way any of us at that table will forget it. Remember a yeah. thing that didn't happen. Um, you know, yeah. you, know, you have these visceral memories of a uh, a battle or a you know a climactic moment that yeah. is all in your collective imaginations. And I think that's super yeah. fascinating. Um, it is. It is. It's like we 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 were experiencing uh, mass telepathy right? at that moment. Right. Like I know what character I was and at what point of view I was looking at that scene in my head and all my friends will have that same thing and my buddy Dave he will have his experience of slipping off that bridge and falling in and his plate mail armor sinking him to the bottom of the great white shark going and he's going to tell his children and his children's children and that tale will be passed down for generations <laughs> sung by the boss <laughs> 100, 200 years from now, uh, you know, Bob the Bard yeah. will be like, do you remember yeah. when Dave, when you were hanging on that bridge and a great How white shark ate you? <laughs> yes. How long will the echoes of that story go into the future? The mighty oh. Dave uh, was the Dave, one. <laughs> yeah, it'll change over time. It'll be like the mighty Dave and the Kraken, you know. Yeah, the rainbow bridge. Oh, it's glorious. Uh, well, it's thank so you good. so much, Adam. As always, a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, we'll yeah. be back with some Great. more fun lore soon. Thanks, Greg. The inimitable Adam Lee says so many wonderful things about those subclasses. The Psy Warrior seems pretty fun, and who can go wrong with a warlock who uh, owes their allegiance to a genie? No one. No one. No one can go wrong I, is what the answer is. I am intrigued by warlocks. Yeah. Yeah. 
There, what I love about warlocks is that they are of a built-in uh, role-playing mechanism, right? That yeah. you, you have this relationship with an otherworldly being and you can't really have a warlock without that. So that's it's, it's all built in. Yeah, I'm into it. Uh, but now there's a lot more options, as I said, in Tasha. So go check that out if you haven't already. Tons of fun stuff. Hope that was informative for you all. And now let us uh, get Jasmine on the phone and we can talk to her. <laughs> Everyone, let's welcome Jasmine Bueller to Yay! Dragon Talk. Yeah, I love you, Jasmine. <laughs> Studio audience, <laughs> you have lots of fans. That's here. fantastic. I yeah. love that. Yes. Can I come All... here every week for validation? <laughs> totally. Yeah, Greg and I are, yeah, are going to start just doing some of those cameos where we'll just like clap for people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and tell them we love them. Well, that's Great. the best. Shall you do the other person voice? I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Was that animal? We may be adding (gasps) huge fraggle. Yeah, that is is a compliment. Oh, dance your more clapping (laughs) when with Fraggle Rock. Dance your cares away. (laughs) That's that's all we need to sync right there. That was perfectly (laughs) on time. Wow, we are delighted to have you here, Jasmine. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. <laughs> so I, I'm i curious, so, and we like to ask our guests this um, as, as, you know, our our first softball question. It gets much harder from here. Oh, no. But uh, how d- <laughs> what was your introduction to uh, Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, um, so my introduction to Dungeons & Dragons was a little, uh, I feel like... Uh, muddled in a way um because i got into into video games first and then figured out that a lot of them were built off D, you know and then kind of like looked at the blueprint from there um and when i first got into it i started with 3.5 me and, too yeah and i chose a cancer mage from the book of vile darkness because i was very edgy at the time <laughs> and i thought this will be a great idea and so my first character was a was very Catwoman because I'm a big uh, comic book fan. So I was like, oh yeah, she's like a, a girl that's been resuscitated by plague rats, and now she's like this like big you know like blight creature. Um, and then I <laughs> played with my then boyfriend and his friends, and they were that wasn't the best table. Uh, and I didn't really understand the concept of like <laughs> being an evil character with like a a group of adventurers that were good, and so. Didn't have a good experience there. Kind of like uh, did a little bit of a minor table flip. I didn't flip the whole table so much as I was like, this sucks. Take my stuff. I'm leaving. I hate this. Because like I ended, yeah, they ended up killing my PC, which was like (gasps) really upsetting to me. So for a long time. They being the party or they being the dungeon master? No, they being the party because they were like, oh, you know, like your character's evil. And I had like spent all this time reading the rules and like making a character and then for them to be like, oh, you know, so it was like a, a negative experience. But then years later, mm-hmm. when I got back into it, like with fifth edition, I had a great experience. And it kind of made me realize that that was a bad table and not a bad game. Yeah. But for a while there, it just pushed me towards like the war gaming side. I played X-Wing for a while and Sales of Glory because I was like, I love this game mechanically. 
But the role play side of it is where maybe I don't fit in. And now it's like hilarious because I play role play heavy games most of the time. And when I play fifth edition, I enjoy the role play more than I enjoy the combat mechanics. But I guess I have like D&D 3.5 to blame for like getting into to work because I still play Warhammer. So like it kind of got me into that whole like mindset of like how cool it is to like pull out rulers and think about positioning and line of sight and stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> I love all that. That's I mean, that's a part of the game. I mean, that's a big part of fifth edition for a lot of tables is figuring out how, you know, to have the best tactical mm-hmm. solution and everything. Um, but that's not really dramatized yeah. a lot on streaming shows and and things like that. So yeah, I mean, what what are some ideas on how to bring some of I that think back? it's like I think for the first thing is not referring to it as crunch. <laughs> Because <laughs> I feel like, mm. you know, mechanics are one of those things. There's some tables that are going to enjoy mechanics. And I think there's some tables that are not going to enjoy them. And uh, I get that there are crunchier systems. And like 3.5 definitely was like a little bit heavier on on the rules and like trying to, you know, set that up. But I think it's been given a negative connotation. And I don't always uh, think that that's necessarily a good thing. I think uh, if you want a role play heavy table, do that. That's amazing. If you want to hand wave, you know, some of the rules away, that's fine. But I also think it's fun to get into things like components and like bringing those like actually into play things that, you know, kind of balance the game a little bit more. And um, I like playing with minis too. So for me, it's like, it's fun to like, kind Mm. of like think about positioning and think about the environment and how the environment can interact with the players and cause issues for them. And that's always fun because it also brings in like different damage types. Like, you know, like, oh, if you, if you, because one of the complaints I hear about combat is like, oh, well, you know, it kind of feels like if you miss or, you know, nothing interesting happens. I'm like, well, that's not true. If you're in a cavern and you miss and you're Eldritch Blasting and it's force damage, what's to say you don't roll to see if you hit, you know, the the cavern ceiling instead of the enemy and now maybe stalactites are going to fall on you. Like that's up to the DM, I think, to make failure just as interesting as success and create a new set of problems. And that's how combat is going to really be brought, like, you know, to the forefront of the game. I... I have played with one dungeon master, Satine Phoenix, who oh, I love Satine. <laughs> she's the I mean, she's she's the boss. Yeah. But she she was the first dungeon master who actually had consequences for a fail, for a failed attempt. Mm-hmm. And that like the player would take damage. And it really does elevate like I was being a little bit more thoughtful about like just casting my magic missiles or like not magic missiles, but like, you know, anything. Um because there were consequences. But that also like makes it feel more real like I like my fantasy to feel a little bit more real sometimes but like you're right like you could actually like hit something that ends up you know causing an avalanche effect and you or the party members are going to end up taking damage so I I love that was the first time anyone's ever done that Mm -hmm. it makes things more cinematic and it does not like oh you miss and then the boss misses and then you miss (laughs) yeah because it's so exciting like when you hit yeah Yeah. it's like it was exciting like it was scary, but it was like exciting to see, like, whoa, okay, how, how bad? <laughs> what was this mistake? You know, yeah. <laughs> not hitting the target. Now what happens? But mm-hmm. yeah, it was really, yeah. it, it was, it was a really cool tactic. I always try to like na- narrate misses, even if they're not that interesting. At least you get like a visual of like, oh, when you miss with a great sword, you know, you get this like, oh, I had a big cut, and I felt, you know, I did that. At least that is something. But something I want to do better at is is having it. And I've been seeing some some kind of Twitter conversations about this recently about like how you can 
still give information on a fail, right? Like you can still give something that's tactically important when they when they miss or 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 miss a, a skill uh, check yeah, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, especially like when it comes to uh, types of damage and maybe the type of damage they're dealing is not effective. Um, instead of saying, oh, the boss, you know, you see the boss kind of stagger a little bit. It's it's kind of cool to be like, you see his armor crackle with like the lightning you threw at him and then it like just fizzles off like to let him know like, it's lightning resistant. Stop yes. doing that. <laughs> yes, I do. I appreciate those little tells because I, like, I, I, I'm not, I don't know, like, I don't know what I don't know. So like <laughs> having a dungeon master like give those kind of clues, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I also have changing stat blocks. Because like there's, I feel like there's always a tipping point where we know who's going to win. And at that point, mm. people become like, okay, well, let's just finish this. So oftentimes I'll employ a strategy where either the boss has like a last like adrenaline rush. Maybe they throw their shield aside and now they're, you know, using their their polearm or their, or their axe with both hands. So they're going to deal more damage, but they're going to take more damage. Um, or if it's like a, a monster or a creature... Maybe, you know, you you cut its tail off so it, it removes its like poison and barb attack. But now it's going to like do three attacks a turn because it's going to go full melee. And so I'll like do that too to kind of like push things along, but also make the party feel like, oh, we don't have this anymore. Or like, oh, like, you know, this is either going to get easier or harder <laughs> in the next three rounds of combat. You right. know, I always love that. I always love like a, like a, you know, I don't know, in the wrestling they call it like a heel turn. You know, when someone's just like, it's going down, you know, <laughs> all in, right? Right. Yeah. Changing up the assumptions, right? Like you get the, 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 the here's the battle, but now pff, everything's mm-hmm. different. And it's, you know, it's, you see that a lot of video games actually with uh, boss battles yeah. and how they have different phases and things like that. And, and, and people can do that even not even with bosses. You can do mm-hmm. that with regular mm-hmm. combatants too. Targeting yeah. the squishiest member of the party because they dealt the most damage. I hate that. As as the person I who usually plays the squishiest party member. Not a fan. Not a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put that out there. <laughs> You're like, leave, leave yes. me alone. Don't attack you me. I'm like, not built for this. <laughs> I'm not. That's why I will, I will oh usually not even cannon. be in the room if I can help it. Right? That's when you're like, why didn't I take Misty step? <laughs> yes. I had or, that happen to me this Wednesday. Like, I play a warlock in one of my games and... I was surrounded by like four creatures and I'm like, why don't I have anything to get me out of this situation? (laughs) Like it's the only time I've been like, all I can do is damage. I have nothing to get out of here. I was like beside myself. Or like all these op attacks and I'm like, why can't I get away? (laughs) That is so true. Or like casting shield or something or like mage armor. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, that's like spending money on new tires. Like it has (laughs) to be done. But it's a boring purchase. Like it's so boring. It's your car tabs. <laughs> you know, like, like I want something that's like flashy and showy that you know, like it's just like, ugh, mage armor. Yeah, I could have Hunger of Hadar or Ivard's Black Tentacles. Why would I want, you know, a dimension door? Right. And then until you're surrounded by three. Until mobs, you, you really want take three off attacks and you're like, Why didn't I yeah. take Dimension Door? <laughs> Until you're hydroplaning on I-5 in the rain. You're like, why didn't I buy those damn tires? <laughs> why? My dad was right. This has got so dark. <laughs> I should have cast major. Northwest thing. I know. I, <laughs> that was a, like, 
I know. I've never heard of hydroplaning until I moved to Seattle. Oh my God. Like, yeah. First time I hydroplaned, like my soul left my body. I was just like, oh <laughs> no. my God. What the is happening? Is what is happening? The car is possessed. <laughs> yes. Oh. Oh, I man. thought my steering stuff. wheel went out. Well, growing up. Yeah. With- it's really yeah. weird. Growing up in the Northeast, I used to test those benefits of uh, uh, a little bit of snowfall donuts. and an empty parking lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not necessarily donuts, just being like, how far can I spin <laughs> if That's I just break it? That's kind of useful, it, though, then, because then you know, like, the capabilities... Yeah. That's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, no, that's actually really smart because then you kind of know like how far out you're going to swing. You have like a better concept. That I'm is, a little off track there, but... <laughs> yeah, it is like a good thing for, for parents who are have children growing up in snowy climates. That's a good idea. Like get them used to that feeling and how to control yeah. it. Otherwise, you're going to be like... <laughs> exactly. And it's Oh, yeah. Most people panic and the hit the brakes, knuckle. which is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Not the thing to do, guys. You got to <laughs> yeah. turn into the. <laughs> that is a P- it's PSA for our Dragon Talk. I know. Yeah. Right? We're it's doing driver's like, ed. No, now. this is like peak. I feel like Pack Northwest. <laughs> like sitting here, like, this is how you drive in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> All you LA transplants yeah. don't know nothing. Uh, we see your California Cal- plates and we see your hydroplaning. <laughs> and we shake our heads in disdain. Don't. Steer, steer into the hydroplane. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. What do you do in a hydroplane? Just what, yeah. when you're fishtailing, you, you want to. You, the instinct is to oh. keep turning, whether you want to turn the opposite way, and that will make you go back. But to bring how this back to Dungeons you, and Dragons, how you're going to do this? <laughs> I'm going to bring this to you, Shelley. When you had your now infamous time as dungeon master, right. and things went off the rails. Uh, uh, I feel like that's an important thing to have at least under your belt as a dungeon master because you got to know what the worst situation could be around the table and how do you oh, course correct, right? You're right. And so, uh, yeah, Jasmine, I mean, segue. you've had a lot of experience. That dungeon. was. You like I'm that? Gonna bring, I'm going to bring the applause uh, back in for you. That was yep. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. Well, thank I you. Loved that's, it. That's, All right, the way you Jasmine's fan <laughs> really liked Thanks, that too. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, animal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, like when when the party goes off course in terms of like, uh, co- like like off of the oh. like not doing what you expect. You're like, I've got this thing, I've got this thing prepared, but they're doing a complete different action, and I got mm-hmm, nothing prepared. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Um, I have I have like t- mixed feelings on that. Uh, I definitely always lean into like what the party wants to do because, you know, it's collaborative storytelling. So I will try to do my best, but I'm also a person and there's only so much I can prep. And I'm a firm believer that the DM is also a player at the table. Um, And I know that DMing feels like this big burden, you know, and, and I feel like every, I hear this all the time where it's like, I got stuck DMing and now I never get to play in games because nobody wants to DM. And I hear that a lot. And I think some of it is we need to like, Remember that DMs are people. So sometimes I'll be forthcoming with that where I'll be like, you're going to need to give me a second to figure out how this encounter goes. Or, you know, if they're like, we're going to go inside here and we're going to do this. I'm like, you need to give me a second to like prep that because I didn't expect you to do that or I didn't expect you to stage a coup, you know, or something like that. You know, like give me give me a second to like make this encounter interesting so we can all have fun. Um, but I think remembering that the DM is also like a player at the table and wants to have fun. If you see like, you know, your DM has prepped something really awesome and you're like, well, we're just not going to go in that dungeon. 
as players, you also kind of need to course, like self course correct a little bit and be like, well, it seems like she put a lot of effort <laughs> into this and, and we're not, you know, we're like showing, you know, no interest in it. Cause I think it's like, everybody should have fun at the table. And I think too often it's like the DM takes the burden of like, I have to entertain everybody else. And I think that hurts the game because mm. I think it'll hurt your enthusiasm and your excitement to like kind of bring this story or chronicle to life for everybody. But a lot of the times um, the way I'll, course correct like my party is to make them question like why they're doing what they're doing and sometimes that'll make them realize they're just being chaotic so if they're like I do this I'm like mm. okay what do you hope to accomplish with that <laughs> just so like I know like you know okay like how like what what are you what are you hoping to get or what are you hoping to find and a lot of times they don't have a clear answer and they'll be like well I guess this is kind of pointless to burn this end down <laughs> And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, or no, maybe, 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 maybe you yeah, do is. have a reason. Did the innkeeper slight you? Because then that gives me a leaping off point for like a rivalry or something. If I know why they're doing what they're doing, right. as opposed to like, are they just being chaotic to be chaotic? Because yeah. it's harder to build off of. It's harder to create adventure hooks if I don't know why they're off course. And sometimes there is a reason why they're off course. We just hate that guy. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Okay, well, let's work with that, you know, versus like, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. <laughs> we just have this lit match and <laughs> there's a building. Would this work if they were, okay, using your example, because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not a dungeon master, but I some, sometimes wish I were, but I'm just mm -hmm. too, I, I don't have the confidence and I just can't do it. But we're building it up. We're so building tell it me, up. Like, we're building okay, it up, Shelley. If this happened in a game and they decided to try to burn down an inn and I obviously was not expecting that. Could I maybe say just before the mat you the match reaches whatever, you see in the window a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then the maybe stakes. they would not want to light that in on fire. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Like cause it, it also makes your world feel more lived in. Um, I had my players like, and I, and it's it, you know I adjust for like an evil an evil story because I love evil. evil. I, I'm I'm getting that from you. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> if there's like a party that's trying to be good and they they do something like rob a place or steal a bunch of stuff, uh, I when they came back through that town, I had it shown where like that place was shuttered, like <gasps> they went out of business because they stole so much. Oh wow! And oh, the my players God. were like. Ooh. How do we make this right? Like we have to help this guy. And I was like, well, you're the ones who drove him out of business. You still have the stock. And then they go to his house and he's like, oh, I invested my life savings starting up, you know, my weapons shop, you know, and oh. I was hoping to make at least 40% return on investment. And like, you know, his kids are playing in the background while they're sitting at his dining table talking. And they were all, and it became like the side plot where they're like, okay, we have to, we'll, we'll start a marketing campaign. We're going to reopen go this farmer shop. We're going to go raid this like dragon horde and get him like new weapons to sell. And we're going to advertise at the local inn. And it became this great subplot that literally arose from like my players that's being amazing. chaotic and being like, oh, that's 300 gold. Okay, I'm going to slide a hand and steal it. And it's like, okay, yeah, you have, you, you do it. You rolled really high. You got it. And they were like, I just have it. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, I'm gonna steal this too. And they had such high stealth rolls, you know, they, they stole half the shop. And then when they came back and saw that, they were like, the rest of the campaign, they really thought about stealing from shopkeepers. They were like, well, 
does this half work look like he has a family? Oh, do you see any framed photos? <laughs> does he have a puppy? Is this a small business? Is he an owner operator or is he Man. an employee here? They were like, started asking questions like, how big is this shop? How oh, nice God. is this shop? Is the oh. sign hand painted? Like, I was like, oh no, I've traumatized them. And maybe, you know, in real life as well, they'll think twice if they do something. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation is all about it public really service is. announcements of like, you know, this shoplifting is, this hurts small DNA business owners. Empathy, though. This is a good, you know, it does. can't help but learn a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think players kind of, you know, you get caught up in it. And I, it's funny to me because like the lack of consistency is hilarious. You know, they'll come across like a horrific beast and be like, this is going to be our pet now. <laughs> and then they'll come across like somebody they just don't like. They're like, we just hate this NPC. So we're going to make sure, you know, I can really this wagon breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Because I love, yeah, I love like leaning into fun ideas. But sometimes I'm like, hmm, if I want this to feel, if I want the campaign to feel like it has consequence, then there has to be consequences. I, that's, that, that is good. Can we talk <laughs> about evil campaigns? Yeah. Yeah. Game. Okay. So when you like, what exactly does that mean when you, if somebody said, I like to run an evil campaign? Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's like if you uh, look at Lord of the Rings and you're like, well, the orcs, you know, maybe they're just, may, what, what is their story? What are, <laughs> what are they doing? And we kind of all collectively know, like, they're not the greatest people, probably not the greatest set of morals, but what would things look like from their point of view? And that's kind of how I treat like campaigns where if my players are like, well, why should we save this town from this necromancer? Like, are we getting paid? What are we getting? I'm like, well, aren't you heroes? Sometimes if I get the vibe that like they're not, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're more, a little bit more devious. Then I structure the campaign to lean into that to where maybe the necromancer can be in league with them. Maybe they don't have to kill him. Maybe he can pay them off or, you know, maybe they can choose to kind of like, you know, I just, I have it to where people don't appeal to their good nature all the time. So much as like, it's more, I feel like they're almost more combat oriented and deception oriented, those types of campaigns. I don't know if that's like a, yeah. a clear answer if it's kind of hazy. So, but are the characters creating PCs that are also leaning more towards evil? Yeah, yeah. So Usually it'll so they be know someone going that, into this. Yeah, yeah. They'll be like, you know, oh yeah, I'm a rogue and all I care about is money. Oh, you know, I'm a necromancer and I really am just trying to advance my power. And, you know, they have like very sort of like, I guess like they play the rules, you know, I guess I should say laws like fast and loose. Like they're okay with doing bad things if it means they won't get caught. And... Okay. I try to structure the campaign to where it's not constantly telling them like, you're bad, you're bad people, <laughs> you know? Um, I have it be more like, kind of like Firefly. That's the, that's the perfect way to think about it. You know, they're thieves. They're not doing nice things all the time. They have some set of morals. And I think that's the most important part of those campaigns is like establishing what is this group of people okay with? And if they're like theft, yeah. You know, th thieving, stealing, robbing, extortion, blackmail, that's fine. What are, what are you not okay with? Um, exploiting weak people or, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, hurt, hurting people that are already hurting. We only steal from rich people. And then from there, you can kind of build out the campaign where it's not constantly telling them like, well, you're not adventurers getting quests from your local inn and therefore you're bad. And it's more like, 
no, people know who you are and they prefer not to work with you. You're a band of mercenaries that's shady, but this king is desperate. And if you want to steal from the king after you're done with the mission, you definitely can. <laughs> I think I think Firefly is a good example too because there's different uh, shades of gray within the, that party itself, right? There's people who are more morally mm-hmm. centered. There's people like Jane who's a little yeah. bit like, I, you know, screw everybody. I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm not even really loyal to my captain, mm-hmm. you know, and all those variances in there. And I think that's, you know, I, I, if everyone is just out there as, you know, mustache twirling villains, it could get really samey. But just like uh, a good aligned party, you yeah. gotta have different Because then different I think like you talk a lot more about like, what you're okay with and what you aren't okay with. And that's something that comes up in Firefly a lot. Like, okay, so you're okay with stealing this, but you're not okay with with doing that. Or you're okay with killing people unless it's like X, Y, or Z. And that comes up with Jane because like Jane having almost no moral compass makes the rest of the crew question what their boundaries are. And I really like that. And that happens a lot right. with like groups that are a little bit more morally ambiguous where it starts out as like, yeah, I'll do, I'll do anything if I get paid. You know, that's what my rogue is like. And it's like, what about this? And they're like, I, I don't know about that. And someone else in the party will be like, I'll do it. And then it's like, you'll kill baby owl bears for 50 gold. <laughs> you know, And it becomes this like fun interplay of like, you know, kind of discussing as a party, yeah. what's okay, what isn't okay. Mm-hmm. I, I would, would not kill baby owls um, for any amount of money. Let the record adorable. show. <laughs> yes. What about one million dollars in real money for a fake owl bear that's imaginary? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now yeah. we have to put that to yeah. the test. <laughs> Quick, we need a million dollars in a fake <laughs> baby owl bear. Get me a million. Someone dollars. get me a pile of gold, a please. Plushie. No. I won't do it. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you Me playing too. with Deborah Ann Wall oh, on yeah. Relics and Rarities. Uh, how great is that? She seems like such a wonderful dungeon master that is there to, to kind of really elevate her players. Uh, is that is it like yes, that as a yes. player itself? Deborah and I have like, we have a lot of rapport with each other. So I've DM'd for her. Uh, well, I guess I, I GM'd for her in, in Vampire. And then, like, she's DM'd for me. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, some... Like, it's interesting to see um, how different she is as a player versus, like, as a, as a DM. And one of the things I love about her is she's very much invested in, like, the, the player's narrative arc. Um, more so than a lot of DMs are. And for how much she preps, that's what's, like, really interesting. Because she's one of those DMs that, like, if there is a book, if she if she says, oh, there's books on the shelves, each one of those books has like probably a page of paper associated with it and has a name. She and a writes writer. every one yeah. of those books. Yeah, on the like she, she prepares a lot of material, but she's always like trying, if there's a cool character moment that can happen, she's more in favor of following that versus like all of the, you know, all of the material she's prepared. And I think like, because she's such a good actress and she knows how to like kind of share that, energy like in a scene her games become very cinematic very quickly because they're very much like about this like yet like the yes and of of improv but also like how do we take that to the next level you know um so yeah she's she's a great role play partner and uh she's a great person too and I absolutely adore her (laughs) yeah that's it's amazing I love watching her because I I always just I'm just in awe of of how she she makes it look so easy 
too. But when, I mean, I, <laughs> behind the scenes, I know there's a lot of work that goes into it. But it's interesting how you you said that she's more interested. She's really invested in in a character's arc, and I think that's important. And I don't know that I've played in games where that was explicit. So like, how how do you do that as a dungeon master? Like, what mm-hmm. I I don't. I mean, I just know, like, you're already prepping so much stuff. Like, how how do you, like, keep track of all their backstories and then, like, also, like, create these moments where their story can progress? How do you do that? Um, I think a lot of it is she gives space for moments to breathe or for the characters to breathe, uh, which is, like, a tool that I think a lot of DMs could use. So if we just get out of combat or something interesting happens, she's not immediately like, okay, so you defeat the the bugbear and then on the road you see this she gives like a little bit of breathing room to like let the players kind of discuss how the fight went make jokes amongst each other and I think that's why Relics and Rarities has that kind of flavor is because a lot of it is like the interplay between the characters because those few exchanged words that happen in that in-between space can tell you so much about character growth more so than like a big sweeping monologue you know the little fist bump that Beryl might give Viros after they take out a bugbear tells you so much more about their dynamic and and who they are as characters than you know me sitting here describing who that character is and I think that's that's how she does it is she gives like a moment to breathe like you know where we can all kind of discuss how um, just kind of dis- discuss amongst each other how we want to do something or or uh, how it is after it ended, you know, like how we feel after the fact. And sometimes, you know, she'll she'll offer us like almost like a challenge, which I think is really interesting. Like she'll, if she sees that you have a value, like a core value or something that's very important to you, she'll give you, she'll set it up in the game where, that might be challenged and you might have to make a really strong choice on whether or not you you know like you're going to commit to this and double down or whether or not you're going to question that that sort of moral value um and yeah it, it leans into that whole cinematic nature of like how she how she dms um yeah it's like i know it's, it's really cool that. it's really cool the way she sets it up she makes sure that like your character in particular is put in a situation where they have to choose between, you know, two things they like or want. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great way to think about it. And, and as you were describing the, like the fist bump, for example, like I had an immediate uh, image called to mind from Goodwill <laughs> Hunting of all places but it's such a it's a montage moment where uh, Will is high fiving the professor mm-hmm. guy still in Skarsgård, and it's there's no dialogue in it, but they just do like a very modern like we're best friends kind of moment mm-hmm. between this mentor and mentee characters, and that moment always meant does yeah. so much storytelling within it, and I love for uh, dungeon masters to kind of encourage those mm-hmm. among other players and have interaction between players and it's yeah it, do you fast forward through the short rest or do you play out what you're talking about while you're recut while you're spending your hit die you know little things like that make a huge difference in like getting to know the characters beyond just like their resume because it lets you know like how they are when they're sitting around sharing rations around a fire you know yes now i'm thinking like i want yeah. more of that and i want more <laughs> like just like casual interaction between players I'll DM with you. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite I want too. To see, yeah, I want to see like how these characters interact with each other, who's real chummy, who secretly is probably pretty annoyed with 
each other. Mm-hmm. And how do they operate? Yeah, but I, I will. I will say what's been very, not necessarily difficult, but there are groups that just don't do that. There are groups that just yeah. want to get I from one thing to the next and get the treasure. The groups I play and, and, in is like, okay, now what? Now what? And that's, yeah. it's a totally valid way to play, but I, I really, really appreciate it. I want to see if I can, just by through osmosis as a dungeon master, try to get more of the interaction be, between players. Yeah, yeah. That can be the hard interaction too. is usually like players and NPCs, individual players talking to an NPC. Like you don't, mm-hmm. and now that I'm, in, in my experience, I mean, now I'm thinking about how many times have I actually interacted just with the other players in my group? Yeah, as a DM, I, usually what I do is like, so just as a small example, like after they woke up from a long rest, I went to one player in particular and I was like, you know, so you get out of bed, what do your pajamas look like? <laughs> Yeah, because it tells you so much about a person. Like, you know, what do, what's your sleepwear? And they're like, oh, probably like really rich satin pajamas, like with the cap with the tufty on the end, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, like those Santa style caps? They're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so you're going to go downstairs in the end for breakfast. Uh, whose door do you knock on first? And like just kind of went through and gave them that moment to like all reconvene, go downstairs for breakfast. And that stuff, I feel like the players also want to fast forward through. They, they're like, oh, you know, okay, so we'll take a short rest. And then I recover, you know, 23 hit points. And I'm like, how do you relax? As you're like kind of sitting there attending to your wounds by the fire, are you the type to smoke a pipe? Do you share a story about your times in the war? Um, do you play a loot? Like, and, and then it, naturally my players are like, oh, I would probably play dice. Who do you play with? Uh, I don't know. Does anyone here want to play dice? I'll play. And it's like, Aww. okay, so you play. And they're like, well, I would cheat. And now you have like this little side story of like, okay, well, roll your perception. Okay, so you notice that the rogue cheated when you were playing dice. Do you call them on it? No, I'm going to file this away for future information. <laughs> you know, and it becomes like, and so encouraging those types of interplays and asking them, you know, like, oh, you, you sing a song? Does anyone here like provide background music? And it becomes like this kind of fun, yeah, like warm type of That's environment. Brilliant. Yeah. I love it. One of the, my favorite things that dungeon masters do before a game begins mm-hmm. is asking characters to like come up with ways that they know each other. In some cases, you don't know some someone in the party. You, mm-hmm. Someone else brings them along. But I love having those relationships. Like it, it might just be someone that I went to Magic Academy with or, you know, somebody yeah. like a neighbor down the street or something. But like sometimes it's like we're best friends. You know, we we have we've known we've gone on many adventures together. We look out for each other because mm-hmm. We inherently, when when that game starts, like that relationship is there. Like I know I'm going to feel it when that person takes damage or mm-hmm. I'm going to try harder to, you know, make sure that they're protected. And it's yeah. just, I it just makes you feel more invested. In, in yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Caring about your party or getting annoyed with them, I think is yes. an important part of the game. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, as as we are in quarantine and there's a lot of perhaps more mm-hmm. one-on-one play that's happening right now, I like that you're you're starting up a, a or have, have been playing um, with one person in one of your streams. That's right. Is that right? Uh, oh, with, like with one-on-one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, I'm yes. sorry. Yeah, cutlasses. Oh, yeah. That's what so I'm trying I'm, to think of. I'm actually oh, right. starting a one-on-one. Like it's a it's it, I it's made to be played. The system's made to be played either like single player or co-op. And um, yeah, we're doing a a little bit of a mini series where 
were kind of, it's like Black Adder meets Doctor Who is the, <laughs> is the best way to describe it. It's very like two people kind of through different time periods and their adventures. Um, and they're not the greatest people. <laughs> and their motives change from era to era. And I'm really excited. That's going to be with my good friend, Josephine McAdam. I did do one-on-one -on -one shots with B Dave too. I he saw, yeah, such a treasure. I love him. I love that. I'm like, what? What is that like with the just? I mean, it's it's very. It can be very intimate. Just having like a player and a dungeon master. But mm -hmm. what was that like for you? I think the coolest part about being in a one-on-one -on -one game is that you you don't have to worry about whether or not like, cause I feel like people have this like superhero syndrome sometimes when they play D and D where they're like, we're the Avengers. And, and, you know, like uh, they, they might envision themselves as the lead and you want to share that kind of attention with other people at your party and let them have their moments too. The coolest thing with one-on-ones is that you don't have to worry about sharing that. <laughs> you can be as cool, as devious, as terrible as you want and not have hmm. to worry about trampling on other people's plans or taking the, the spotlight from them. Um, and the narrative becomes solely kind of like your own and the DM then becomes like the world. And so it is a lot more intimate and it's a lot more, um, it feels more like you're building a story together and less yeah. like a adventure. Yeah, I think the coolest part about doing one-on-one, -on -one, it's always your turn. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you're always yeah. top of initiative. Always. That kind of. Yeah. I guess that's yeah. good and bad sometimes. You maybe want someone else to take a few hits before you, but yeah, <laughs> you're also the only target. So that's where you get the sidekicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where you use the new sidekicks rules from Tasha's, and uh, uh, you know it's always your turn because you're playing yep. four different characters. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's a good reason. You know, like what you were saying yeah. earlier about dungeon masters feeling like I, I, I have to do all this prep and I never get to play anymore. But like mm -hmm. in reality, it's kind of like. You play more than anyone. You, <laughs> you're like, I mean, it's all, almost always your turn as the dungeon master. Somebody does something yeah. and then you get to go. Someone does something, now you get to go. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the pressure. Oh, yeah. Which we got we to gotta dismantle that, you know? We, do. I think we just have to understand that like, listen, your DM is not a professional voice actor. Be nice. Yeah, <laughs> some of the NPCs are gonna sound the same. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've got yep. one voice. That's all you got. You even get that. I've got one British accent, <laughs> and every NPC is gonna have it. You know, like Jump of the board everybody in this town sounds like Animal from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that Maybe that's your quest to find out why. What's <laughs> They've going all been why? cursed. They've all been cursed with these animal voices. <laughs> it's, it's either animal yeah. or, or C3PO. Those are your two. I think your I'm two pretty good voices. at the count as well. At least the oh, oh, oh part. <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> a town of just like no. Muppet. It's just a Muppet town. Oh my God. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, that would be so much fun. A town that's been turned into puppets. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I'd save them. That's I think creepy. I would just, that's like a... Oh, is it, is it Pelham who's really afraid of puppets? Yes. <laughs> I guess yes. some people, this, could, this would not be a, a town they'd want to stay. Yeah, in. and the boss could be a giant hand, like from Smash Bros, you know? <laughs> and that could be like just a... Moving them yeah. around. Marionettes. Now, marionettes, they are legit creepy. Marionettes are creepy. Yes. I agree. 
I agree. But like a Muppet, that Mm -hmm. would be fun. Yeah, like you walk into the tavern Mm. and like Fozzie Bear's there playing the (laughs) piano. (laughs) Was he the piano player? Fozzie Bear didn't play the piano. No, that was Rolf. I would feel. I I think I've been told multiple times that um, if I were a Muppet, I would be both of the critics. Oh. Statler yeah. and Waldorf? Yes. Is that their names? And I'm like, both? Yeah. Like, mm, yeah. Like sitting in the balcony, like, oh, ha, 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 ha. Like, <laughs> laughing to yourself. Did you hear that, Jasmine? Oh, these guys are idiots, Jasmine. <laughs> yeah, basically. Be, I would be both of the critics. That is one of my favorite uh, Chris Perkins moments where he set up two gargoyles uh, who were uh, in an Ack Inc. game just uh, commenting on how. You know, all the antics yeah, of what the player yeah. characters were doing. It was so <laughs> you good. know, I'm definitely that person. Like, when someone in my party gets hit hard, I'm like, oh, that's got to hurt. Almost like you probably shouldn't have done that. You know, okay. like, I'm like that person all the time. <laughs> so they're like, you're both the critics. This is a terrible like, idea. Sitting in the gallery. <laughs> I have a great, terrible idea for a show. <laughs> you made for you, bad Jeff. choices. Mm-hmm. You watch other people playing D&D and then just <laughs> annihilate their choices. Just be like, that was so stupid. Why did you go in there? <laughs> That seems like a morally great choice. I don't know if that puts you in trouble with your order, Paladin. No shot, idiot. <laughs> I feel like we just created a new subgenre of like ever. Yeah, I, just feel like, oh, I don't know. Okay. I I'm only. I feel like are the players bad people? Because <laughs> then I do it. But I feel like if the players were nice people, I'd feel bad. You know? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it would, obviously, the show would have to be nice, hopeful players. And then they're just like, oh. Like the Hell's Kitchen <laughs> of, we, of D&D. You need to be a Gordon Ramsay of D&D. Right? Yeah. You idiot! Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? <laughs> Never split the party! <laughs> Why would you do that? Are you daft? And just yell at them. And they're like, oh. <laughs> Gotta learn. Oh, it's really important to my I'm character. sorry. You chased after the dog. You were never gonna catch the dog. The dog was obviously an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Just hold up the pieces of bread. <laughs> oh man! Oh, my God. Camera. I had to do that last night. I had to be like, uh, you know, that, basically the party was split at the end of the session before that. And one of the guy who was just playing by himself was like, I'm going to go explore until I find something cool in this dungeon while there's the rest of the party is like miles away. And I was like, are, are, are you, you sure? Because if you encounter something, you might be able to get away or you might just die. And that's why you don't split the party. I had to like, and he's like, oh, oh I feel yeah. like you're telling me something. Yeah. I'm like, imagine yeah. if you could just push a button and I appear. And I'm like, are you dumb? You're going to go into a dungeon by yourself? Look you, at your movement speed. Look at your AC. They're going to eat you alive in there. Yes. And then I'll be like, oh. Okay. And, then I, and then you push the button again and I just disappear. You could be like, so do you still want to go in the dungeon? It's up to you. you can I don't do know anything. what that was. I'm sorry. I pressed the wrong button. The button is called the voice inside your head. <laughs> <laughs> I, there are a lot of tells that people need to follow with a dungeon master. Like, if you say I'm going to do something and your dungeon master says, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Rethink your action. Or if your dungeon master goes, okay, a la Chris Lindsay, who gets super excited because he knows you're about to face great danger by doing something incredibly stupid. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pay attention to those clues, people. Oh, yeah. Especially like in, I, you know, yeah. I play a lot of vampire and some of the some of the kindred are like really powerful, you know, because the older you get, the more powerful you get as a vampire. And they're just going to, they'll get like mouthy sometimes. I'm like, you sure you want to do that? And, th- and then they're always like, well, uh, and then they like second guess because they're like, no, we could, we could take this guy. I'm like, yeah, maybe. And they're like, no, no, we, there's, there's four of us and there's only one of him. Right. Right. There's like, oh, there's only one of him. Right. Right. And then I'm like, no, 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 keep, keep, uh, you know, chickety check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Keep mouthing off to that ancient red dragon. Go ahead. You know, get checked for your sass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I find the sidekick characters uh, mm-hmm. actually really instructive because they can be the voice or you know or, or any kind of uh, NPC that the that the player character type with like a sentient weapon or a sentient item or something like that. You can be that sass that is like, uh, I don't think you want to do that, and it's not just yeah. Dungeon Master saying it. It is this yeah, item or this thing. It becomes almost it. like a Disney character, you know, where you have like the little sidekick <laughs> yeah. that's the voice of reason. Like I always loved Mushu in like the original Mulan, where he's just like, you know, that, that what are you doing? You know, and you're like, because <laughs> you have to commit to the character, where you're like, my character is not the brightest, and they are going to do this. But it's nice to have like the sidekick be like, this is a really bad idea, and be like, I know, <laughs> right? Give all the warning signs <laughs> yeah. that you can. <laughs> yes, and especially you can create those sidekicks to push your party in the direction you want them to go. Like when they don't go in that dungeon that you just prepped for the last five days, mm-hmm. that sidekick can be like, you guys, I think I see something really cool over here. Perhaps we go mm-hmm. <laughs> this way, guys, to the left. To oh, Why didn't I have sidekicks that first time? Yeah. Yeah. I think it also helps with like mechanically explaining like that, NPC that the players will always I feel like the like the party will always adopt an NPC where it's like we ran into this thing we'll ask old Robert for help we'll ask old Robert <laughs> if he knows anything you know and I'm like old Robert's a farmer well he gave us a ride into town maybe he knows what's going on over here maybe we'll ask old Robert how to kill a vampire you know and you're like old Robert gave you a, a ride into town like eight sessions ago and you won't leave that poor man alone. They become, and they're always like, we go to town and we ask old Robert what he knows about the mayor. And I'm like, he's a farmer that gave you a ride. You know, like, oh, we have to go over the mountains. Maybe we can, maybe we can have old Robert take us. I'm like, walk, just walk. Stop asking old Robert for everything. Now I can be like, you know what? Old Robert is just like a sidekick now. He lives with you now. He's your, now your problem. You have to feed him. You got to protect him because now he's part of the party now. He can take damage. He doesn't have any time to farm anymore. He's like, you know what? I thought the farming life was for me for the past 75 years. But you adventurers (laughs) are having so much fun. Take me with you. Yeah. Also, I'm diabetic and I need help with my insulin. (laughs) Like every... (laughs) What? Just make old Robert. Yes. You want old Robert? Yes. You're going to get old Robert. You have to cut his... I feel like everybody named him. Robert listening to this podcast is like, I'm not old. <laughs> I'm like, we're yeah, sorry, I'm Robert. sure you're young and virile, but this one's old, you know? This one, he earned, he earned his name. Yes. He did. Old, old Robert. <laughs> I'm wondering how someone gets the nickname of just old. <laughs> yeah. Not like 
lady. You know, gray hat Robert or, you know, Robert who lives by the creek, just old Robert. Old Robert. Maybe there was a young Robert that yeah. came in and yeah. like, I'm Robert. Yeah. I'm the new Robert. I'm the new Robert. You're old Robert. <laughs> new, sh- new shiny Robert. We're creating Robert. so many hooks for this character. Like... Now, new Robert wants to like take out old Robert and be like, "I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have that Robert yes, game all to myself." There can only oh, be one Robert. Live <laughs> <laughs> one Robert to rule all the Roberts. Oh my gosh! Oh, the, maybe old Robert was created by by a dark lord to rule all Roberts. <laughs> He's the original. Somebody, you, you're gonna have to run this game now. I need, I need in. I gotta find He's out. Actually, mystery. 800 years old. He's the, the mystery, the mystery of old Robert. <laughs> or is it OG Robert? Robert? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe he is a kindred. Maybe he's actually been a, a vampire this whole time, so he's extremely powerful. Yes. <laughs> That's why he's old Robert. They were right mm-hmm. about asking him then. That's the he whole point. Everything. He comes full circle. <laughs> he's just been around he that long. Everything. I just love the idea of them just like, we got to go back to town and talk to old Robert. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> they became very dependent. Every yeah. campaign needs an old Robert. Mm-hmm. The ultimate <laughs> that, sidekick. That central NPC <laughs> that just has magically his knowledge of everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a good tool for players and dungeon masters. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've learned and laughed a lot uh, on how to DM in this in this, uh, this interview. Oh my gosh, this has been really <laughs> what, what is this? Like, why my face like hurts? Like, have these muscles well, not my been face used hurts. in the last eight months? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so all of this hilarity and more you can find on your Twitch channel on the on the on the regular, yes, right, Jasmine? Uh, Full time streamer. You can find me on twitch.tv slash that bronze girl. And uh, I'm on Twitter at the same handle and I put out content for both. And I, I think I'm mildly amusing. I think you are. <laughs> my face hurts. Thank all you. Get my vote. I like you too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> we know you got at least one one big fan here here in, yeah, the, in the studio audience. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it! <laughs> oh, that's so awesome! Uh, you are a delight. You're a wonderful role player, dungeon master, uh, and uh, thanks for being on. I know and so much, my so much good advice. All the too. This has been it. so delightful. Like this the is, time just flew. <laughs> This is what we need. And we learned a little Time bit about fly. hydroplaning. And don't forget, mm-hmm. that was also part of this interview, which now seems like yeah. four months ago. I feel like we're like, like you know, the thing that plays after the 90s cartoon where it's like, you know, G.I. Joe. <laughs> like give you like a, hey kids, get your all weather tires. And if your uncle is a diabetic, here's what you do. You know what I mean? Like, and don't yes. steal from oh small God. businesses. Look around before you steal. Do they have family photos? Do they look like they're doing well? Look for those clues before you take. <laughs> there is this ongoing thing with every single interview that we do where my face has been hurting oh from God. laughing and smiling and uh, joking with uh, the creative folks. And Jasmine's interview is no different. That was delightful yes 
can't believe um, she's here local in Seattle. I know. And we we are not unable to to hang out. This would have been one of those interviews we did in person, honestly. Yep. But oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know what? When this is all over, maybe she'll hang out with us. Maybe. I hope she does. She so hopefully she'll at least come visit us in the office because that would be fun. That would be very fun for yes. sure. Yes. Um, definitely follow oh. her on all the things. Uh, always doing good stuff. Uh, and as well, you should follow Dungeons & Dragons uh, if you can. DungeonsAndDragons.com or download Dragon Plus to your phone. Get tons of bi-monthly content beamed directly into your brain pan via your phone. Uh, but you can also get it at DragonMag.com. And speaking of words, uh, there is an, uh, in two, you know, the issue from October, there is uh, two amazing D&D-inspired short stories. One written by Adam Lee, who you heard earlier on, and one written by me. My two favorite writers. Aww. And Adam wrote about my cat. See? So. Can't go wrong. There's so many connections. And now you need to start writing some fiction. I want to see what, uh, what, what the great Zeldini. Some, yeah. Too close to home. <laughs> you yeah. got to create a, a, a new cat-like character. Yeah. Well, I, I did create the great Zeldini. That is... Um, um, a children's book that I I fancy about a, fancy. a cat who's you know magic, but she hides her magic from her people. Aww, yeah. Did you it's use the cute. word fancy because of the magazine named Cat Fancy? No, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That's the it image that came to mind for me. Oh, I'm glad you you went there. Yeah, you know, I, I like that. You know, there's a magazine called Cat Fancy. <laughs> You know, 1980s periodicals is my is my jam. What did they write about in Cat Fancy? Who knows? I just remember seeing it when I was a kid. Uh, articles about your cat and how to take care of your cat? Was there cat fiction? What's going on in Cat Fancy? People who are, you know, in on the internet now don't realize that, like, you know, pre-1993, we didn't have the amazing communities that are online right now, it was all magazines. There was a magazine about golf. There was a magazine about cats. There was a magazine about Dungeons and Dragons. There oh, was two, Oh, this is amazing. Fact, right? So yeah. it's, uh, it's funny to think that um, there, was, there was all that, those publications yeah. about little niche communities Pet. and now that all moved onto the internet. Pet experts. I'm just looking it up. What did you write about in Cat Fancy? Oh, there's <laughs> Dog Fancy too. There was Dog Fancy too. Which to me doesn't seem as weird. I don't know why. But, I mean, why should Cat Fancy seem so... I think it's the name. Cat Fancy. Cat Fancy. Oh, man. I haven't thought about Cat Fancy probably ever. <laughs> now I can't stop. Now, now I can't, can't stop. stop thinking about it. Now it's you're going to start pitching articles to Cat Fancy right. about hey. the Zeldini. Yeah, I got to go because I got like 7,500 back issues to get through. <laughs> so. Well... Uh, you can follow me at uh, Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Where can they follow you, Shelly Move? You can follow me at Cat Fancy <laughs> Shelly Move. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, at Shelly Move on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. And speaking yeah. of Cat Fancy, what is happening with Drunky <gasps> Two Shoes? What a segue! White. I know. Uh, so you had heard there was uh, some. Uh, you were on a ship that you had tracked down and your long lost brother and litter mate, Daryl Two Shoes, uh, voice comes from the hold. Uh, it says, what? Is that you? 
my God. And it sounds um, like him. And it, so- it sounds like him, and it sounds like in that uh, tabaxi language uh, that you had uh, tried to get. And you're at the door, um, but you are beset by the captain of the ship as well as uh, the six underlings. What do you do? And, th- and then I, my guy, my, my friend who's been helping me, yeah. and didn't I like scream like, help me? And he said, okay. And he's, he's, he's ready to Is help he you. doing so anything? Uh, are ready to do, and you were gonna roll initiative. I remember, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I don't think I rolled, but I think I did, and I don't think I rolled very high. I'll re-roll. Oh, didn't probably not any higher. Which yeah, seven. Seven. All right, so I got a fourteen, and uh, the short Danny DeVito-looking captain uh, comes at you with the short sword that he draws, and he starts to stab you. No. And he rolls a uh, 11. Does an 11 hit you? No. No. Okay. Uh, so you move, you move, your cat-like reflexes move to the side and uh, you're able to dodge his uh, repost. What do you do? Uh, oh, I get to go now? Yeah. Um, so I am going to... Uh, hit him with my... Short sword. All right, roll. Fifteen. Fifteen. That's a hit. Yes. Roll damage. So your Ooh. short sword, you dodge out of the way, and you you know take that advantage, and you slash him uh, or, or, or 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 prick him right in his belly. Okay, I I would hope because I haven't moved, right? Right. You're still at the door. So I'm gonna really hope that I can. Oh my god, a six. Wait, move, move, move. Eight, eight. Eight I hope damage. That All I right. can hit him and it's distracting enough that I can try to continue making my way through the door. Okay, yeah. So you hit him and he kind of goes he goes down on one side. He's like, ah, oh, you son of a bitch. Uh, <sighs> and he kind of falls down and you see blood uh, uh, filling up the shirt, uh, you know, around him. Uh, and he, he goes down on one knee. Uh, yeah, so yeah, you can open up the door and try to get downstairs. Okay, that's into what I'm the doing. hold. All right, so. Whoosh, you disappear and you hear the sounds of boof, boof, uh, uh, some combat still on the deck. And we'll pick it up next time. My friend is helping me. Yay! Yay! Oh, I can't wait to see you again. Daryl's almost there. I mean, Daryl. Excellent. Well, we'll pick it up and I can't wait. This is going to be the best ending of the year storyline ever. If something, you know what? 2020 is turning right around. <laughs> We're seeing the reunion of Daryl and Drunky. At long last. I can't wait. Me too. Awesome. All right, but we'll see you then. Okay. Bye. Bye.